Welcome to Chip Chat Conversations in the Cloud, a weekly podcast with IT leaders who are driving the future of a software-defined infrastructure-based data center. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome wherever you may be listening. My name is Jake Smith, Director of Data Center Technologies at Intel, and I'm joined today by CEO and founder of Secure AI Labs, Ann Kim. Welcome, Ann. Hi. Hi, Ann. Thanks for joining us. Ann, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, and more importantly, tell our listeners about Secure AI Labs? So my name is Ann Kim, and I studied computer science and molecular biology at MIT in my undergraduate. And I did anything from quantum chemistry simulations to genome-wide association studies, electronic health informatics, as well as any sort of software engineering tasks that our professors would tell us to do. And then after that, I went to Korea, and I worked at a biotech company, and I noticed that there was a real lack of data out there that in order to make innovations in health as well as like drug development, you need tons and tons of data and the accessibility of it is not quite so easy. So I went back to school and I study computer science and molecular biology in my master's program and I work in the media lab with Sandy Penland in the human dynamics group. And my research has turned into a startup called Secure AI Labs, formerly known as GeneTank. Well, that's outstanding. So can you talk a little bit about what you're doing to deliver artificial intelligence as a service? The main crux of the problem is that you have a need for data and data that is valuable as well as extremely sensitive. We're talking about patient health information and very personal information that's being used for so many different malicious things on a personal level as well as at a company level. You can take genetic information and use it for discrimination, for example, in like uh, life insurance policies. So that's extremely sensitive information. And there's obviously other genetic information that could be used against you for certain health outcomes. In addition to that, I see it as and inaccessibility because of corporate reasons. For example, Pfizer has done so many molecular tests and has built up this huge database of their molecular library. And it would be very difficult as an outsider to work on that library, even if you could do some sort of like novel drug discovery on it. And could you talk a little bit about how you use homomorphic encryption to keep genetic data secure? So the grand vision is to use homomorphic encryption on genetic information, but currently the most tractable technological advancement for our vision of secure computation on genetic and health data is through Intel SGX. So with the Intel SGX, you can manage a lot of computational resources that allow for trusted execution of algorithms. So that means in our architecture, we not only encrypt data, but we also encrypt algorithms that have a lot of proprietary information of biotech companies and pharmaceutical companies and have them meet in the SGX chip. And there, the algorithm can securely operate on the data without leaking any of the data out and without leaking any of the secret sauce of how the algorithm was actually produced. And the output is actually just the answer of the algorithm. For example, if you had an algorithm that was trying to find a biomarker for diabetes and the data is a lot of information about diabetic patients as well as their genetic information. Then you have the two sides encrypted and you have the diabetic information 
in one pipe. And then in the other pipe, you have this proprietary algorithm that's going to do a lot of machine learning or like mixed linear models or what have you on the data and then output a result of which biomarkers are actually important without telling you like Chris has diabetes or like Jen has this biomarker for diabetes. How big a deal is it for not just our patients, but for the hospitals that try to serve patients to be able to separate that data, to encrypt that data, and protect really both sides of the conversation? So there are a lot of provisions that protect your genetic data. The first in the United States is HIPAA. What HIPAA does, it protects your genetic information and has 15 provisions for how to anonymize genetic information and like health information in order to keep you safe as a patient. Furthermore, in the EU, they have a policy called GDPR, and in GDPR, they have a very specific clause about genetic information and how it has to be protected. Furthermore, they have clauses about health information as well as biomarkers and facial recognition, which would lie under that clause. So when we start talking about where we can go with this data, can you start talking about some usages? For example, clinical trial data. There are over 12,000 clinical trials that are conducted every single year, and only about 40 of those clinical trials will actually be successfully turned into drugs. So there's a lot of failed clinical trials, and they all have to be reported to the FDA, but not all of them will necessarily have like vast amount of accessibility. But as we know from repurposing of drugs, for example, like most famously Viagra, there's a lot of, to glean even from failure. But a lot of the reason why failed clinical trials are not shared is because, one, there's private information of individuals who are involved in the clinical trials. There's also secret sauce of the companies that conducted the clinical trials. And there's also a certain sensitivity to being a company that is associated with a failed clinical trial. So because of that, there's tons of data in clinical trials that is not used, which is a travesty because each of these clinical trials costs hundreds of millions of dollars. But using sales technology, we could actually utilize those clinical trials in a secure way. And our grand vision is that these failed clinical trials could go into one pipeline that would be encrypted through SGX. And then the other pipeline, you would have, for example, MIT or the Broad Institute or some other pharmaceutical company glean information about the adverse events in the patient cohort of a bunch of clinical trials in order to figure out how they could repurpose a drug. Wow, that's really outstanding. So you can use anonymous information that is securely enclaved from other information to potentially add or provide interesting insights into past clinical trials without wasting the data and subjecting new patients to new dangers associated with trials. So what does this do to shorten the time for clinical trials to pass the FDA test? So in terms of faster approval, I think potentially a grand vision for this is that you could have clinical trials go through like multiple analysis from all different sides of researchers, not only from researchers who are conducting the clinical trial, but researchers outside of the clinical trial, similar to what you could imagine as Kaggle, that if you had a clinical trial done, you could have institutional researchers from academic avenues, as well as biopharma and just use all the brain power that we have in bioinformatics in order to figure out what is going on in a clinical trial without necessarily exposing any of the data. It is analytics without seeing the data. So can you 
actually talk a little bit about how privacy with DNA and using blockchain come together. I, I don't think that's readily apparent to all of our listeners. Sure. According to the National Institute of Standards and Technology, blockchain is an immutable digital ledger that is distributed and uh, decentralized, meaning that there is no central party that says what is put on the blockchain. It is changed via a consensus mechanism. And by having this automated and decentralized, you instill this automatic trust layer. As uh, one person has put it, blockchain enables trust in trustless situations. So in the example of bioinformatics, you have hospitals and insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies that all have the same play. They want to improve patient health, but we've seen that it's extremely evident that oftentimes it comes down to the bottom line of uh, competitive advantage. For example, hospitals will bill as much as possible for their treatments, and the insurance companies will try to, like, look through that in order to figure out how they can best optimize the situation. And then with pharmaceutical companies, they will obviously try to charge as much as possible for whatever treatment of their drugs and the usage of the drugs. So because of this adversarial nature, blockchain makes a lot of sense in order to coordinate efforts without necessarily leaking anything proprietary to any entity. Why do you have to use Intel SGX with blockchain to deliver your solution? Excellent question, Jake. So with SGX, you have the obvious advantages of being able to do secure computation in a trusted execution environment. But how can you trust if a computation is actually being done on a secure enclave? So you have the Intel attestation report, but without a direct feed of the Intel attestation report, how can you actually trust what your browser is telling you. And what we do is we enable a decentralized sort of heralding of the attestation of an SGX chip through the blockchain. So because blockchain is a decentralized consensus mechanism, the consensus that people are reaching is that we're using uh, secure enclaves on your data and not necessarily doing some sort of black magic where we actually do a switcheroo and actually do computation on your data on like a naked chip or something. Why is attestation so important for trust? We talked about blockchain, but why is attestation so important for trust? So the attestation report is a like hash signature of the secure enclave that not only we're not privy to, but also Intel necessarily does not have any sort of linkability between the chips. And that allows you to rest easy knowing that your computation is being done on your data in a secure way without any sort of need to worry about adversarial attacks from the outside. This is the kind of stuff that changes not just lives, but changes industries. I have to ask you, and I know our listeners want to know, what made you decide to go down this path? Once I got into biotech, I realized that the accessibility of all this data is extremely difficult. In fact, I was running through the numbers with my team recently, and we estimated that there must be at least 50 to 100 petabytes of data in the hospital systems alone. That's huge. Like, if you put it through the dumbest neural network possible, something's going to shake out, at least a little loose change of, you know, insight in terms of hospital standard operating procedure optimizations or potentially new drug repurposing or anything under the sun that goes through a hospital that you could figure out just through the sheer massiveness of the data set. And for whatever reason, 
this data is not shared in like one central repository because of uh, security. Um, that's the reason. How can our listeners learn more when you guys continue to release new innovations based on our secure enclave technology? So we have a website. It's secureailabs.com. And there we actually have a link to sign up for a mailing list where you can be a beta tester of our platform. And if you are someone who has health information or you're a curious researcher in bioinformatics, we want to get you into the beta testing of what we're building right now. In addition to that, you can personally contact me as well. I'm on Twitter at H-E-R-R-O-A-N-K-I-M, A-N-N-E-K-I-M. Well, Anne, I'd like to thank you. On behalf of Intel, I have learned a great deal today, and I know our listeners have. On behalf of Secure AI Labs, this has been CEO and founder Anne Kim. My name is Jake Smith, and thank you for joining us. Wherever you may be, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This has been Jake Smith from Chip Chat Conversations in the Cloud. 